listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. Here are your hosts, Daniel and Golnaz. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of ESL Talk. As we are now into the season of spring, everything is starting over new. And with this theme in mind, today we want to talk all about getting started teaching your first trial class, your first online class, one-to-one class, or even group class. And both of us are starting new semesters, and this is a perfect time now for us to talk about getting started as a teacher and also what our students are going through and how we can support them best right from the start. So, Daniel, let me ask you, what has been your best and your worst first day experience as a teacher so far? Yeah, um, I guess the best first day experience was um, probably actually today, which is amazing, which is why we actually talked about this topic today, because um, I've had the experience now of teaching online specifically this course for about a year. Um, so I'm able to like really refine my materials, know what I'm going to teach, know what I'm going to say, kind of get to know students well. I know the platforms, I know the um, systems, I know how everything works. So I think that's really important um, to kind of have those processes in place. And then also, you know, knowing a little bit about what te- students can expect, um, what I can expect, and just being able to communicate that really clearly. I think that's really important. Um, so I would say for where I am with my students teaching online right now, this is probably the best experience today. As for the worst, that was probably about a year ago once COVID happened. As we know, we've talked about it so much. Um, about 13 months ago, everything suddenly switched online. My students don't know how to access the systems. My students don't know how to get onto the platform that we used, which was Microsoft Teams. They're always asking for the link. The link doesn't work. They can't use the chat functions. Um, my camera microphone setup isn't great. I had to you know, invest in a lot of better technology, which I've done since then. But at the time, I didn't. So it was just a really messy, unorganized kind of difficult start for students and it wasn't really fair to them so it was i wouldn't say it was the worst experience but it wasn't a great experience um what about for you as a teacher goldness well uh for me i remember 
um, a lot of uh, good days uh, as first day experience but uh, one of the best ones that I remember is actually the first day I, that I started teaching for the first time and I had no experience prior to that and I remember that I was too stressed out but it turned out to be the best day because um, I could uh, I was able to like, just you know follow the plan the lesson plan and everything and the result turned out to be fine and okay for somebody who has just started so um, yeah that was that was a really uh, memorable day for me I never you know forget the face of my students even uh, it was a really uh, valuable experience for me and uh, for bad first day experiences I can uh, you know, we all have good days and bad days, but uh, I also, similar to what you said, uh, have had some difficulty and some challenges at the first of this transition to online teaching, uh, especially because of the reluctance that was there uh, from my, you know, students' side. They were not happy uh, studying online, and uh, it took a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of. Uh, hard work to uh, try to make the lessons more engaging and to try to uh, get the students more engaged into everything. And uh, yeah, I don't want to think of them as worst days or best days, but I want to think of uh, them as, you know, um, usual days for teachers. We all, we all experience all of them, actually. Yeah, that's true. There, I think it's really difficult to say best day and worst day. It's more things that went well and things we can improve going on. And I just want to link this back to me as a student, because as a student, you know, the best days for me were where I came into a new environment or a new school or university and my professors or my teachers were just kind of approachable, friendly, had a good sense of humor, explained things really well, made me put me at ease right away. I think that's a really important first day. But I've also been on the other side where maybe I've had a teacher who's a little bit younger or new and they don't quite know the ropes yet. They don't quite know what to do. And we can kind of see that. We can kind of detect that and pick up on that. So I was going to ask you, Golnaz, what are the signs that students might notice about their teachers at the start of a semester or a course or, you know, a plan of learning? Well, first of all, I would say the way they welcome the students, the way they, you know, start uh, breaking the ice and uh, getting to know the students and helping the students know each other. And also the way they um, kind of, uh, you know, map out the whole plan of the course or the semester or the way they uh, provide uh, instructions to the students. These are all very important things uh, that um, are kind of highlighted uh, in the students' perspectives because, like, if uh, the attitude is not really friendly or welcoming or if the instructions are too complicated or the students are bombarded with a lot of you know, with too many rules or instructions all at the same time, which are might not be so clear at first. These kinds of things can be kind of intimidating. But like on the opposite side, if the attitude is welcoming, it is friendly, it is supportive, the teacher ensures the students that he or she is there to to support them. And also the instructions are clear, the, the expectations are set clearly. This can, on the other side, um, kind of have, an, have a positive effect, I would say, on the students. So uh, I want to ask you, Daniel, um, we know that first impression is one of the most important things in communication these days. Uh, but as a teacher, why do you think it is crucial for us to make a great first impression? Mm -hmm. It's 
pretty simple. You want to set the tone with your student or your students right away. Um, if students are paying for a course or they're paying for a set of classes, they have certain expectations and you need to match or exceed those expectations right from the start. Because if you're starting off, you know, a student's paid a lot of money and you're starting off a course and you're not organized, you don't really know the content, you it seems like you don't quite know what you're talking about or what you're doing, then that creates a really negative effect and that puts doubt in the mind of our students. Now, Education isn't a service, but if we think about it like a business, like a service, I mean, if I, you know, if I paid for a service and I didn't feel I was getting value for money, then I might be annoyed. I might be a little frustrated. So I think, you know, students will be forgiving and they'll be understanding. We don't know everything. We make mistakes. I mean, I just mentioned earlier that today was a really good first day experience for me, but actually I made a few mistakes. I, you know, I might have missed something on my slides. They weren't quite lined up perfectly or... You know, I was trying to share a screen that I wouldn't share properly. I mean, these things happen. And as long as you're human and you're, you know, real with students, I think that's really important. Um, and that really helps to make a good first impression. But I would say it is crucial to make a good first impression because you're going to be with those students for six weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, one year, two years. You never know how long it's going to be. So if you can start off strong and set the tone and kind of put students at ease, make them feel comfortable and confident and kind of give them the tools that they need, that will really help them to be successful. And it will really, you know, again, make them feel invested and motivated. And if your students are invested and motivated, then that's a lot of the difficulty that you're going to have as a teacher. You've overcome that right away. Definitely. I couldn't agree with you more. I don't know if it is fair to say this or not, but as a teacher, uh, mm -hmm. I myself feel that sometimes um, a lot of uh, demotivation or a lot of obstacles to learning that our mm -hmm. students face is actually caused by uh, some um, some things that we as teachers should do but are not doing or are missing on. So as you said, if, if we uh, as teachers consider all of those Um, facts, we can help our students to have a better experience and a better journey. So what are some steps that we can take before our first lesson uh, to hit the ground running right away? Yeah, as I said, you know, it was the first day for me teaching a new semester to my students and, you know, planning for this led me to think about some questions that I think can help all our listeners and help all English teachers. So here's some things to think about. Um, you know, what do you need to prepare? What do you need to be aware of? How can you hit the ground running, like you said, Golnaz? Well, before the lesson, there's quite a few things we can do to help our students. Um, I've seen it all too many times as a teacher and as a student, teachers are not prepared. They just come into the class and think, okay, I can just wing it. I can just fake it till I make it. I can just start and it's going to be fine. Well, you can, but your probability of things going wrong or things going you know, awry is, is quite high. Um, and I, would, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Um, even if you're a new teacher, it's better to always plan. Um, you know, a very uh, inspirational teacher that I had when I was younger once said to me, you know, if you, if, you plan, if you fail to plan, then you should plan to fail. So <laughs> plan, your, plan your lesson, plan your work and work your plan and work your lesson. That way you'll always improve. So the first thing to do, the first point before you, you know, teach your lesson is to think about your students. Think about a basement Uh, a baseline test, a placement test, or some low stakes assessment. So for example, that could be asking your students to record a short introduction video or a short introduction voice clip. That way you can automatically, you know, hear their speaking skills. What are they, 
weak on? What do they need to improve? What are they doing well? So that really helps you before. Students might not see it as a test or an exam and you don't have to frame it like that. You can just say, oh, I'd like to know a little bit about you before our class. Would you record a one minute clip just telling me about yourself? Already that builds a really good understanding of the student's speaking skills. When it comes to writing, you could, again, do something very similar. You know, tell me about your goals for this course. Tell me about your aims. Um, tell me about something um, that you're struggling with with English, etc. So, again, you can understand and assess their writing skills right away. Um, reading's a little bit more difficult. You might give them a short reading task just to with some questions to understand their comprehension skills. Likewise, listening, you might send them a clip and say, please listen to this clip or watch this video, answer these questions. So there's a lot of different things you can do. Um, if we're focusing purely on language, some um, assessments that I use with students as well um, are the Oxford placement test. Um, it's a very short 20 minute kind of 40 question test, which looks at all the grammar and um, you know different rules of grammar to help students understand um, where they're at and they can see as well their level um, so they know where they are and that can be really useful as well. So another step, another thing we can do with students before the class is to prepare some questions for them to think about. If we come into a lesson and we just talk, 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 we might lose our students quite quickly. If we come in, short introduction, and we give the students some questions to think about, then that's, again, that's going to get them engaged, that's going to get them switched on and get them thinking about their learning. So some critical questions, um, some things that can help motivate them. What's their rationale? So some good questions might be, you know, what are your goals for learning English? Um, if it's for work, you know, how will improving your speaking help you in your career? How will being able to research help you with your university course? How will speaking uh, confidently and presenting well help you in your life? There's lots of different ways you can look at it. Um, another thing to do, discussing goals and setting targets together. So you might have some goals in mind for the student, but you should never assume that those goals are the same as what you think. You should speak to the student, consult them, involve them in the process. If a student feels involved, they feel invested. They think, yep, this teacher understands me. They want me to succeed. They know what my goals are and they're going to help me guide them, uh, guide towards them. And it's obviously going to help with motivation as well. Another thing, prepare good content. You don't have to spend hours and hours and hours preparing slides because students you know, shouldn't rely on the slides. They should be there as a guide, as a prompt, as a reminder, which can be great for know um, audiovisual learners um, because some people interpret information differently they might not always hear everything you say they might see things so if you have a combination that's great um, again make the content interesting and engaging good images good um, you know quality um, videos and good quality material and then finally what, what do you do before the lesson set homework review tasks next steps because if we don't know where we're going, how can we have a good, successful first lesson? We need to know, okay, what's lesson two going to be? What's lesson three going to be? And if we have that in our mind, we can again start to help students link their learning, connect ideas, practice, and develop more. So those are just a few things that students can uh, that we can do for students before um, the lesson, before we have our first lesson with them. Definitely conducting uh, a needs analysis test and um, uh, finding out about what interests our students have and what needs they have actually, and finding uh, about their finding out about their weak points and then working on those weak points towards the course to help them improve is actually one of the main things that we have to do in each uh, class, I would say. And um, all of those things that you mentioned are actually wonderful it's all wonderful advice uh what i would 
add for lower level level students is that for lower level students, uh, you know, um, doing some of these tests or tasks or I don't know, giving them questions or even discussions might not work uh, for the first lesson or before the first lesson because they are all, you know, uh, they do not feel that confident to use uh, the language that they might know. So uh, we have to give them, I would add this, that for lower level students, we need to uh, give them some much uh, more freedom and a little bit more fun to start with. Maybe playing a game, maybe uh, playing a, you know, a getting to know game or these kinds of activities that will engage the students, doesn't um, require too much uh, language use, but also will uh, help the students uh, you know, communicate and communicate a message across. So um, these things will also help. Um, another thing that we need to consider is uh, that based on the syllabus, sometimes the syllabus is designed and we need to uh, develop our materials based on that. Sometimes the syllabus uh, needs some improvements, maybe, you know, throughout the course, it depends on the institution or the, I don't know, school that we are working with or the type of the class that we have. But I would say that um, improvising sometimes will also help because based on the thing, based on the grounds that we set before the main lesson, we can actually uh, predict and uh, uh, perform some changes to the whole uh, uh, to the whole direction that our lessons and our whole course is going to take because sometimes it has happened to me that sometimes uh, based on the students and based on what is happening in the classroom we need to sometimes change maybe sometimes we need um, higher level lessons maybe we need you know more uh, stronger uh, we have stronger students that require harder and more challenging lessons so those would be uh, things to consider too now i want to ask you daniel what are the steps to take during the first class yeah you've touched on some of these already um but definitely i would say that have an outline like you said you know have a, a syllabus or a plan of learning but you need to adapt that learning you need to think about the needs of your learner or your learners and build lessons and build activities based on what they enjoy what they're interested in because if i have a student who wants to improve their business skills and i'm teaching them general english skills that's not going to appeal to them if i have young learners and i'm giving them articles or material on science technology um, and really heavy academic articles it's not going to be of interest it's not going to motivate them it's not going to be valuable to them so think about your learners needs and goals once you've planned those then you can start to plan lessons with them in mind you can tweak your you know outline you can tweak your activities but that should be in the first lesson you should start to fill in those gaps of how you're going to teach the class how you're going to teach that student or those students and that not only increases the motivation for the students and gets them engaged but it also makes it more enjoyable for you and for them and if a lesson is more enjoyable the time flies by so quickly and it's so much more you know productive on both sides um, the next thing I would say is give students choice and variety in their learning. Don't say to them, this is the task I want you to do. Say, I've got two tasks here. Which one would you like to do? Or for homework, I've got a choice of two questions. Do you want to try this one or this one? Or, you know, um, let's do some multiple choice, um, you know, questions, not for an answer, but just kind of what do you want to discuss? So giving options and choices to students as well helps them with their learning. You're empowering students, you're giving them the option and the choice of how they want to learn and what they want to learn. Again, that's only a benefit for you as a teacher and also for the students because they're invested, they're engaged as well. 
Another really important thing to do in the first lesson is to set expectations. Now, personally, I'm not very strict. Um, a lot of students think I am strict. Maybe it's just the way I communicate, but I never try to be strict. I just try to be realistic and honest. And I think students appreciate honesty more than shouting or being angry or losing your cool. Um, if you can be focused and serious and honest with students and set the expectations and tell them, I know what you expect of me, so I want to, I want to deliver that and I want to ask you the same. I think if you have that mutual respect and that mutual understanding, it's going to get good results and you're going to set high standards. You're not going to let things slide. And hopefully students won't either. They'll see the value of that um, and they'll take things seriously. If they don't want to be serious, that's fine. If they've made that choice, if they've paid their money, then that's fine. That's on the students. We can only help so much. Um, and I know a lot of students take it, a lot of, sorry, I know a lot of teachers take it personally, but ultimately we, as long as we do everything that we need to do and we are as professional as we can be, then we've done our job. Um, I know it's in the first lesson I'm talking about here, but you need to already have in mind what will lesson two, lesson three, lesson five, 10, 20, what will they look like? Take students on a journey. By the end of this course, you will be able to. By the end of this lesson, you will be able to. By the end of the year, by the end of this month, take them on that journey, show them where they're going to be at each point, work backwards. That way we're ensuring success. We're making sure students can understand why we're doing things, what we're doing, why we're doing it. And the process is clear. If we have clarity and the student knows what we're doing, then they'll come with us on that journey. If it's not clear, they don't see the value. They don't see the importance of it. Maybe they won't. So again, take them on that journey. And during the first lesson, we can raise motivation, we can do some progress checks, we could do some little um, interim checks throughout the lesson. So after an hour, if it's a long lesson, we might say after one hour, okay, let's quickly check. Um, what were the answers to this? What do you think about this? What are your perspectives on this? What are your opinions on this? Um, give lots of praise. And you can still use those comprehension checks and those progress checks to identify areas. Okay, student A, they're really finding it difficult to speak coherently. Student B, they have some good ideas, but they're speaking you know, too much. It's not clear. It's not coherent. It's not um, efficient. Student C, they want to speak, but they're very shy. So again, use the lesson, the first lesson especially, to really identify those areas because they'll guide your practice going forward. And then finally, build rapport and trust with your students. Take a few minutes before the lesson. Ask them about themselves. Where are they from? Why are they studying? What do they want to improve? Why do they want to improve? Tell them a little about yourself so they feel comfortable, they feel at ease. You know, tell a few jokes if it's appropriate and it's, you know, safe to do so. Know your audience, know your class, and they'll get to know you. It'll be so much easier to get them on board and get them invested in what you're doing. Yes, there is a lot I agree with here, and especially building rapport and trust with your students, and also uh, using everything that you observe and everything that you monitor during the first session to build on for the uh, future lessons. This is, um, in my experience, I've seen that this is uh, crucial for a successful term or semester. So uh, now moving forward, I want to ask you, Daniel, um, what should we do at the end uh, of the lesson, of the first lesson after class? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, this is just as important as the beginning of the class or even before the class. At the end of the class, we need to give students an opportunity to speak, to ask questions and to answer questions. Now, it's very easy to just say, do you have any questions? And usually we hear crickets so we hear nothing <laughs> because that's not the best way to check learning or to clarify certain things. So what I might say to a student is, Golnaz, could you remind us what we have to do for the next class? Oh, okay, I need to think now. I need to go back. I need to retrieve and check and clarify. If they didn't get it right, that's fine. You can use that opportunity to clarify, to restate, to emphasize what we have to do. Another thing we might want to do is tell me three things you've learned. Tell me five words you've learned. Tell me one idea that you want to know more about. Um, you know, Give me um, your perspective on this. Do you agree with this topic? Do you think there's other things we need to consider? So having a couple of questions at the end just to keep students engaged, keep them thinking beyond the lesson is really important. That way we can clarify any misconceptions. We can check for understanding. We can ensure success going forward. Another thing to do after the lesson, give feedback, give a lesson review. Now, if you're teaching 25, 30 students, you can't individually give every student a lesson review. You might just give an overall one. Okay, class, here's what we did today. Here are the tasks or the, the topics that we covered. Here's what we need to do for the next class. Here's the material. Here is how you can contact me if you need to clarify anything. That's really, really useful. Also, by sending that email to your students, they have a way to contact you. They feel more comfortable. They feel more confident. Another really good thing to do as well is to record the lesson. If you feel comfortable and the student feels comfortable, you can share that recording with them. So instead of them coming to you and saying, I don't get it, I don't understand, you can refer them to their notes, you can refer them to the lesson review, you can refer them to their feedback, you can refer them to the recording. So you have four things to rely on instead of just one, you. 
Um, that way there's no misunderstanding, everything's laid out clearly, there's no, not really much room for misunderstanding there, so it just kind of fills in those gaps. Um, another really good thing to do at the end of the class is recognize students' strengths. For example, you might say, you know, um, I don't know, John, you... I really like that answer that you gave because you gave evidence, you supported your points, you gave an example, you developed. Or Sally, I know it's always Sally as a generic um, English student. <laughs> Sally, you listened to the other point that the other speaker made and you built your response based on what they said. So that was a really nice way to develop conversation. Or you wrote a really organized, well-structured essay. Let's look at what's good about it. Don't just say, well done, great. That's wonderful. It might be, but these phrases, they don't have much value if you don't add specifics to them. We can tell students, great, well done, awesome. Why, how, what did I do? Add in what they did, how they did it, why they did it, great. Students can really respond to that and they'll give you much more in the future. Show them what they did well. Show them how they can still improve as well. A little bit of self-correction helps. Um, and then finally, at the end of the first lesson, what's lesson two gonna look like? So if this is the trial lesson for a private student and you've had your 30 minutes or your 45 minutes or your hour, show them what the next lesson's gonna look like. So if you know if it's you, Golnaz, and we're having a you know a first lesson, I might say, so Golnaz, in the next class I wanna try this and this and this, and I wanna give you a choice of this and this. What do you think? And the student thinks, wow, okay, I'm really interested in this topic, or I really wanna talk about this idea. Wonderful. This is going to ensure, you know, the booking or the sale or the course, you know, goes ahead. The student continues to learn with you. If it's in a formal class or a group setting, then that shows again, okay, I'm already ready for the next lesson. I already know what to expect. I'm already prepared. I can already start to have an image in my mind of what the next class is going to look like. And I can see how I'm going to progress, how I'm going to develop, how I'm going to get better. So those are a few things that we can do at the end of the first class. That's true. And I always find it uh, interesting for both myself and my students that uh, the, about the thing that you said, uh, that you uh, make it clear for them what next lesson will look like. Uh, I have experience with this, uh, with homework especially, like when you set the homework for them, uh, it is really interesting to let them know and let them decide and let them, uh, you know, express their feeling towards that homework. Do they like it or not? Yeah, generally uh, speaking, no student likes any homework, generally speaking, but of course, you can uh, find ways to make the uh, homework interesting for them and by involving them in uh, choosing the tasks or uh, uh, reflecting on the tasks, uh, you can actually get some good insight on, into what you can do next to uh, better prepare your lessons and better, better prepare um, the homework for your students. And... Um, what about during lesson two? Now, we've talked about uh, the first lesson so far. Now, this is also connected to the first lesson as there is some crossover. But what, what, what other things do we need to consider during lesson two? Yeah, so obviously at the end of lesson one, we're going to set homework for students. We're going to take them through the steps. We're going to break it down. This is the question. This is the task. You can choose this. You can select this. You can do this. Um, and then the beginning of lesson two, we need to link and connect lesson one and lesson two. If we don't make that connection, what's the point? It's kind of redundant. If there's no connection, there's no development, there's no learning taking place, or there might not be as much learning taking place. So first thing to do, check the homework or check the content that you covered the last class. Give 
students an opportunity to set the tone. All right. What did you take out of this reading? What are your thoughts on this? Um, what are your perspectives? Is there anything you disagree with? And what did you understand by this term? What does this phrase mean to you? Um, I noticed a lot of students, or I noticed that my student had this error with this phrase or this sentence, or they didn't quite understand this term. Wonderful. We can use that as a learning opportunity. So we can make sure everything's boxed off and tidied up and organized from lesson one, and then we can move smoothly into lesson two and start off on a really positive note with students, you know, energized and invested and empowered and ready to go. So getting feedback um, to students on the homework or the review task, this is really important. Not for students, for us as teachers. Ask the students, how was the homework? Um, what did you find difficult about it? What did you enjoy about it? Was it boring? Was it you know, not a good task? That's fine. This is how we improve as teachers. This is how we constantly improve and refine and get better as we go. Because if we just keep teaching the same lesson over and over again and we don't ever improve it, it's never going to get better. It's just going to get stale and stagnate. And we don't want that. And students don't want, to, don't want that. They want to keep you know, improving. So we've got to develop as they do. Um, refer back to student goals. Okay, you need to improve this. So your goal is to get a band-aid in IELTS or it's to get accepted to this university or to get this job. Okay, here's what we're going to do today to help you achieve that goal, to work towards that goal. So if we're constantly moving towards that goal step by step, then again, we're going to be able to empower the students, get them invested, get them working, and they're going to be on board. They're going to be along for the ride and ready to you know, succeed and give it what they can um, to be successful. So lesson two is just as important as lesson one, and, and obviously continuing on from lesson two as well. Definitely. And um, Daniel, what are some other variables we should consider if for some reason this isn't sufficient or doesn't work for the class that we have or something doesn't go exactly to plan? What are mm. some other variables? Yeah, um, even if you have one year experience, 20 years experience as a teacher, you don't always know exactly what your students' strengths are or the weaknesses are going into it. Um, so we might have prepared a really good lesson for a student and then when we speak to them, we realize oh, their speaking ability is very low or their writing ability is very low. This isn't going to work. We have to be adaptable, like you said earlier, Golnaz. And it's always a good idea to over plan, especially the first two or three lessons, because if you have an advanced student, they're going to get through everything much quicker. And if you have nothing to teach them or to work with, then it's going to be a little bit of a waste of time. Similarly, if we have a student who is a very low level student and we're asking them very complex, difficult questions, um, or teaching them grammar that's going to be too advanced for them, then again, it's not useful for the students. So initially, you know, try to pitch it to two or three different levels for the first few lessons. If it works, great. You can build it up, level it up, level it up as you go. If it doesn't work, you can level it down as you go. So always have a couple of different ranges and abilities in mind um, because in test scores and placement tests aren't always accurate. We can't trust them entirely. So, um, you know, we might need to adapt things. We might need to adapt our course or our lessons or our outlines um, and our material because we can't use a one-size approach. Um, you know, if we're teaching a, a writing course, you know, I teach writing courses and I can't teach the same writing course to every student. I can't teach the same writing course to two students who have IELTS 6 in writing. I can't teach it to two students who have, um, you know, exactly the same background or grades it, because not everyone's the same. So really important to over plan because at least if you over plan you're always prepared you don't leave yourself short you don't leave yourself kind of with nothing there 
um, because then that's going to your students are going to lose confidence in you. They're going to lose faith in you. They're going to think my teacher's not prepared, and you are prepared. So don't ever give yourself um, that panic and that anxiety. Anxiety, um, and then again, another variable to consider: your level of guiding and leading in the class. So. If we have a small group of three or four students and they're all very chatty and they're all very talkative and it's a speaking class, great. Set them up, give them a task, make sure you explain it, explain it and lay it out very clearly. Let them go with it. Let them lead, let them guide, let them direct the lesson. Um, if you have a much bigger class of 15, 20 students, again, we can do this massively. Put them in little groups. I love putting students in breakout rooms and small groups. Some of my students love it. Some of my students hate it, but it, it's, um, it definitely has its benefits because then you're putting the, the tasks or the, the roles on the students and they're having to think, they're having to adapt, they're having to communicate in English and use all their skills. I'm not just spoon feeding them because it can be very easy to spoon feed students, especially in small one-on-one or two-on-one or three-on-one bases. Um, so think about your students and think about your level of guiding and leading and adapt that and you know modify that as you need to. Um, so abilities, um, materials, and your level of input and involvement, those are a few variables to consider, um, especially in the first lesson or two. So, um, Golnas, I've spoke quite a lot today. So, um, as a student, and obviously your experiences are a little bit different to mine, what are, what are the qualities of teachers that you've noticed and what are the things that we've discussed that make them stand out? Is, is it these elements or is it something else that we might have missed? Well, I would say that um, as a student, I would love to see all of these qualities and all of these processes happening in any class that I attend. And... Um, these are all necessary. These are all things that a teacher should consider. There, there are a lot of things that we kind of sometimes oversee and, um, you know, miss just because you know we don't take the time to think about it. Or as you said, um, for example, over planning. I, I do agree with you as a teacher. I do agree with you that over planning is much better than being underplanned and then having nothing to, you know, continue with in the middle of the lesson. Uh, so. As a teacher, I myself uh, try to follow all of these, um, let's say, uh, necessities for a successful lesson. If you do, do not have them, then you won't ha- feel good at the end of the lesson. So, um, yeah, and as a student, I really would love to see these things uh, f- from my teacher's side. And I've, I've had very great professors and very great teachers who have actually implemented these strategies in their uh, teachings and... Um, I would say that the report, uh, the way that the expectations are set, the way that the instructions are given, and the way that the teacher and the professor, um, or, or the approach actually that the teacher and the professor has to teaching, are all important qualities that I am always looking for uh, in my teachers. And um, they really stand out for me because without them, uh, I find myself, you know, uh, a little bit confused or demotivated at times. And then I have to put some extra work more than what I am usually doing to keep myself motivated and then uh, carry on with the whole lesson. It is, it is a student's job to study all the time, to work hard, to give uh, her or his 100% to the lesson. But I also think that it is our uh, job and our responsibility as teachers to give our 100% to it too. And if we do this mutually, um, well, great, great uh, experiences can happen for both sides. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, definitely feel that, you know, students sometimes they do feel demotivated as, as teachers. We sometimes feel demotivated as well. And um, every day is not going to be perfect. We have to accept that we're going to have good lessons and bad lessons. And it's, it's how we respond and how we learn from those bad lessons that help improve us as teachers and help us become better in the future as well. So we talked a little bit about first impressions and, you know, I don't want to be cynical or negative here, but I'd like to know, do we really judge teachers based on first impressions? I know that I've done it when I was, you know, studying and when I was a little bit younger, I, I have done it. Do you, do you think that we really do that? Do we judge teachers based on first impressions? I think as human beings, we naturally do judge people based on first impressions. But I think um, it is important to always uh, allow some time and uh, give our audience some time and give our, for example, teacher some time to, you know, mm. uh, and give ourselves some time to be able to connect and to be able to match our communication styles and our learning and teaching styles together and find a way to you know uh, work everything and work it out uh, so yeah I, I would say that it is not wrong or it is not bad to have a kind of a prejudgment based on the first impressions but it is not good to rely too much on it because experience has shown me that I have had very bad first impressions from some people but then it turned out to be great for example that class or that teacher turned turned out to be my most favorite class uh, but like for, for example the first day uh, didn't uh, you know go on as I had expected it but it doesn't mean that it is not a good class or the teacher is not a good teacher so we have to allow them time we have to allow ourselves time to know each other more and to try to find a way to you know adapt um, that's my take on that. Yeah. What do you think, Daniel? My, my advice always is, you know, even if you have a disaster first day or first lesson, you can always turn it around. You can always improve. And I think, you know, being honest and being humble with your students and accepting, you know what, I made a mistake or I've been in this position where my slides didn't save or I lost my lesson plan or whatever it is. These things happen. And if you're honest and realistic with your students and you explain to them, that you're human and as long as it is, is it, it is a one-off then i'm sure students are going to be fine with that um but if we're not planned we're not prepared and we're not organized then that can really start to cause issues for students when it starts affecting students then that's kind of when we have to stop and take stock of things um but i think it's really important again to kind of have that good first impression as much as you can don't try too hard be real be authentic i think that goes a long way um but yeah i would say most of all Try to follow the steps, try to be organized and get that first lesson right. If you get that first lesson right and nail all the key things that we've talked about today, then the rest of the lesson should go pretty smoothly and the rest of the course or the semester should be a success, we hope. That's me <laughs> knocking on wood. <laughs> so thank you so much, uh, Daniel, for sharing this uh, uh, great lessons and advice on uh, how to start out i'm sure this will help our listeners uh out there to if anyone is planning to um, get their lessons and get their semesters started i'm sure this advice will be useful for all of them i hope so i really do and you know we don't usually get an opportunity to just talk like this and 
you know, we've just been quite fortunate today that we just decided we wanted to talk about this and, you know, get together and, and really, you know, discuss this in length. And yeah, you know, if you are starting a new or you're getting new students, even if you've been teaching a while, these are some things to think about. So if you can even just take one or two elements from this and implement it, then we hope that it really helps you to be more successful in the future. So thank you so much for listening today, guys. Thank you, everyone, again, for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, ESL Talk Podcast. And if you want to email us, our email address is esltalkpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes and to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for even more ESL teaching content. 